and welcome to the Hypnotizing Podcast, the podcast about hypnosis, transformation, and healing. This is Dr. Liz. This is airing in June 2017, and we just went over 10,000 downloads. And I am so happy about this. I know these are small numbers compared to like big, huge, gigantic podcasts. Before just an individual running her own little podcast, trying to get the word out about hypnosis, these feel like a miracle. So I wanted to thank you so much for listening, subscribing, downloading, sharing it with friends, tweeting it, all of that stuff. I really do appreciate it. And in the month of June 2017, I'm running a contest. Woo! Love contests for reviews because reviews is often how the networks will present your podcast to new people to listen to. If you have a lot of good reviews, they're more likely to do that. So if you write a review in June 2017, send that review to me, send me your username, tell me what platform you put it on, email that to drliz at drlizhypnosis.com, that's D-R-L-I-Z at drlizhypnosis.com, and I'm going to put your name into a drawing to win a t-shirt, a Hypnotize Me podcast t-shirt. The logo is really cute, you all know that, so... I am happy to send you a t-shirt in whatever size you are, wherever you are listening to this. This is being listened to in 61 countries. So I'm so pleased about that, that all over the world, people are learning about hypnosis. So that's the June contest. And feel free to share that with friends and loved ones, whoever you want to share it with, even strangers, right? (laughs) Just kidding. All right. This is a review from Annie Therapist. I love the tone of the podcast. Hypnosis might seem intimidating or out of reach, but she makes it feel interesting and accessible. And she gave it five stars. Thank you, Annie Therapist. That's just an example of a review. People often think of them as like these paragraph long reviews, but they can be like one or two lines. It totally counts. Just please make sure it's honest. So let's jump into our interview with Jackie Flynn. She is a play therapist And she also does couples therapy up in central Florida. And she runs a huge podcast, which originally was called Parenting in the Rain, is now called Play Therapy Community. So she's an amazing person to talk to about children and hypnosis and how she uses hypnosis with children. That's what we're going to learn in this episode. But also she talks a, a lot about the brain development and how to integrate the two sides of the brain. That is really interesting. I think you'll enjoy it. Chessa talks about when she uses hypnosis with children and a little bit about how she uses it with children. So hi, Jackie. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. It's such an honor. You know, I'm a huge fan of yours. Thank you. I really love your podcast too. I have uh, told the listeners before we started our interview that you run the Play Therapy Community podcast. And I've gotten just so much information from it around parenting. And it's just a wonderful podcast. It really is. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Let's start with a question I asked most professional hypnotherapists. What was your own first experience with hypnotherapy or hypnosis? Well, how I first got interested in it was actually on a personal level. My parents were smokers for a long time, 30 years-ish each, and they both got 
hypnotized and they were successful. Even my dad tried to start back smoking again and he was unsuccessful uh, at trying back. So I was really impressed and really grateful to just the fact that that was even available. So as I become a licensed mental health counselor here in Central Florida, I thought, I want to incorporate that in my practice. For one, I know it helps and it works. And two, I I just, I'm really interested in it. I just really want to be able to offer that to my clients. So I'm, you know, in the beginning, I primarily worked with children and um, teens Mm -hmm. and families. So I started using this stuff after I went to my training in Clearwater, Florida. Really good. Actually, it wasn't Clearwater. It was Dr. Bullett and Dr. Rainey. I can't remember exactly um, where it was at. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it was an excellent training. And I walked away feeling like I knew a lot more than just another type of treatment. I feel like I had a better understanding of the mind and how it works and how it influences our everyday stuff. I, I loved it. We had experiential opportunities where we actually were hypnotized um, by each other and by them um, as a group, individual level. I really got to um, experience it in a big way. Wonderful. That's wonderful. So tell me how you use it in your practice. You work mostly with teens and children, or do you also see adults? Now I see adults. I have expanded over the years, uh, but I definitely work a lot with children and adolescents and families now. And with the kids, the, the little ones, I use a lot of the framework of hypnosis, a lot of the pieces of it. So it may not look like um, in the traditional set, and sometimes you could do that with any age. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the goals there is to really kind of, they call it depotentiate their conscious sets. It's a, a piece of Erickson's work. Can it's, you... Like, break that down for the casual listener. Yeah, it sounds so. I remember the first time I heard that, I thought, what language are they speaking? I don't even know what that means. (laughs) Right. So, so depotentiate is just kind of um, shake it up. We all have beliefs about ourselves, really limiting beliefs in many cases. Like, we can do this because of this, and we can't do that because of that. Um, I. I can't um, run a marathon because I broke my leg when I was 20 years old. Those type of beliefs that can um, really limit us. So those are conscious sets and those are just things that we believe about ourselves. So when you can depotentiate and really just challenge um, and shake that up to where that's not running the show, then you can do some work there that can push people past their point that they believe to be true. That makes it sound like, you know, uh, you know you're really thinking that, um, that you can't, you know, because you have the IEP that you can't do this class. And then you start from there, kind of meet them where they're at, and then you say some things to um, knock their conscious brain kind of out of that stuck point. Mm, Okay, fascinating. So can you paint us more of a picture of what this would look like? So let's start with 
like, let's say a child walks into your play therapy room. I know you do a lot of work with sand tray, right? Yes, I love it. I know. I love like the sand tray and the miniatures too. It's like, ah. So paint a picture for parents. Like, all right, a child walks into my office and this is what it looks like. And they grab a character from the bookshelf, a a little tiny character or some objects and bring it into the sand tray and they start to play. Mm -hmm. And then you begin to talk to them and you're working in challenging these limiting beliefs. Is that basically how it goes down? Yes. Okay. So with that scenario, suppose that they grab something and sometimes it may be even a little bit more directive than that. Traditionally, that's how at least the way that I um, do hypnotherapy goes. If I really want to shake them up, I may I may like grab, say, an elephant, a baby elephant and a mother elephant. For some reason, I have like five elephants on uh-huh. the shelf. But <laughs> And then I'll put those in the sand tray and I'll say, um, you know, when a baby elephant is really tiny in some places, they will use a rope and tie it to a stake to keep it put so it doesn't um, go out and wander around in unsafe positions. And they'll say, yeah. And, and usually, you know, there's that acknowledgement that, hey, that's really sad to be kind of tied to a stake. And, yeah, that, that must be really hard on that little baby elephant. Well, as that baby elephant grows up, um, it can still be tied to that same stake, even though it's much stronger, much wiser, much larger, much more developed, that same little tiny rope in that little stake can keep it put. And they're like, why doesn't it just pull away? I said, I wonder why. And that's like that depotentiating the conscious set. We don't actually, you know, say explicitly that it doesn't pull away from the stake because at a real early age it learned that it couldn't move it and now it's trying it doesn't even try to move it but as their story comes out in the sand tray i think or i I might say something like that's like that elephant i wonder what would happen if that elephant just pulled on that stake a little bit harder so it's really speaking to that unconscious mind and surpassing that learned limitation that is in their conscious mind. So shaking it up a bit a bit, and making those suggestions in real small ways that can integrate into their unconscious mind. And that's where you really get the change. I love that metaphor of, a, of an iceberg where you can see the tip of the iceberg and it's, it's big and pointy and rough, but underneath the water line there's this big giant part of the iceberg and we kind of separate that into the conscious and the unconscious mind so when like with that elephant uh, metaphor and as i'm i'm setting the um, stage for it with the miniatures in the sand tray but i can use pieces of that metaphor once they have it in their unconscious mind to really address that um, bottom part of the iceberg and go deeper. And and even weeks later, I may say, it sounds like you're pulling on that stake a little bit. I wonder if your stake is loose. And um, so it may not look like the traditional laying on the couch. Um, You know, they go into a full trance and, you know, it's that 
you know, the way that I would traditionally work with adults, mm-hmm. but it's very powerful. And they may even come in at a later session and say, I pulled on my steak yesterday. Oh, that's <laughs> so it's, sweet. It's really cool. Yeah, that sounds beautiful, actually, a, a beautiful metaphor to work through. So you often do setups for them in your Santry, depending on what the child's working on. Yes, it, that's it's not like always that uh-huh. directive, but it mostly is because of sometimes they may, you know, have something in there that fits. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's where it's most powerful is when it's their metaphor. But sometimes they have to be nudged a little bit, especially if their limited beliefs are like in concrete. And mm-hmm. I see that mm-hmm. a lot with kids that have anxiety. Mm, gotcha. They believe that they can't really change this, that there's somehow something wrong with them. And you're... Yeah, I'm defective. Uh-huh. Part of your job is to question that and let them know they're perfect little tiny human beings and they're just struggling with something. Yeah, and the limited belief there, um, sometimes unknowingly parents, they mean well when they um, are really, you know, trying to help them, but it kind of sets into a limited belief of, you know, I had anxiety when I was a kid, and you have anxiety, I couldn't do these things, and you probably won't be able to do them either, and I think they're really trying to support them in a way of letting them, normalizing it, and letting them know, letting the kid know that hey I understand but on the another side of that it kind of it gives that limited belief to the kid that okay this is this is who I am mm-hmm. rather than something that I deal with and when you have somebody take it on as part of them rather than a behavior that they're exhibiting or something that they can fix then it gets a little more stuck. And that's where that hypnosis is really powerful because those um, lighter interventions aren't necessarily effective at that point because it's just so set in that belief that, you know, I'm, I'm like my mom or I'm like my dad. I'm just destined to be like this and I can't change. Yes. Yeah, I definitely see that in adults as well. But they've held that belief, obviously, for much longer. So when you're intervening with children, you get to intervene so much earlier. You know, like they don't have to believe that the rest of their life, which is really an incredible benefit of treatment that I think people don't often think about. Like parents bring them in saying, this is going on and I want to help them feel better, do better, all of this. But it's they're not consciously walking in saying, I really want them to believe something different about themselves, that they have the ability to change and break free from the stake and do all of these things that I know they can do. Oh, my goodness, yes. Parents, usually when they come in, they really, really, I say usually, I've never seen it, not the case, and I'm a parent myself, they really want the best for their child. And they come in at the point of, Please help. I, you know, I've tried so many things. I just need some help and support. So that's why my work with children and adolescents involves a big parent consultation component Mm -hmm. because a lot of this is not common sense. Uh, Parenting is tough. Yes. It's like the hardest job in the world. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. (laughs) And there are some things that 
you think, gosh, why isn't this working? And it's not. So, you know, I, I pull from the research a lot because I remember before I got into all this information and I was working in other fields, I was doing things that, you know, I would never do now, you know, and, and it just feels good to have that information for um, parents. But I usually work with the child or the teen for 60 minutes. And then I usually chat with the parent for 30 minutes on the phone, um, usually after the kid goes to bed, if they're younger kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll, we'll chat, you know, still keeping that confidentiality. But a lot of times I'll draw on my um, tenants that I use in my child parent relationship therapy sessions, you know, on, on what's supportive and, you know, different books that I've read, like Dr. Siegel and, and uh, things like that. Mm-hmm, definitely. So tell me how, how does it differ hypnosis for like the little child versus the teen? Mm-hmm. Now, with teens, and teens really vary in their level of acceptance and their level of um, ability, especially if the teen has like a focus issues, you know, we may not get to that point where they um, are able just to lay down and relax. But for the child, for the, say, nine and under, I'm sorry about that, for nine and under we um, usually do that in direct mode with the pieces that I tell you, you know, as they're um, working through their stuff in the play therapy or in the expressive arts therapy room, we'll do those pieces. And the trance can even be kind of set while they're working by kind of doing that monotone voice and really kind of getting them to that calm state to where they're not all wound up. And that definitely helps with people that are experiencing anxiety. So it's more kind of in motion with the little ones. With teens, sometimes it's in motion, and then sometimes it looks just like it does with an adult. So depending on where they're at, and as they move up, you know, a 17-year-old is certainly different than a 13-year-old. Um, I use the labyrinth sometimes for the trance work. Um, I use the labyrinth like for a million different things. But I know notice that when they use that double labyrinth, they're able to really kind of connect that right and that left hemisphere and get to a calm, connected, integrated state. And then our work is much more effective when they're there rather than, you know, really kind of all over the place. Oh, fascinating. So can you tell people what the labyrinth is? Like, are you talking about an actual structure you have? Are you talking metaphorically? Um, no, it's the actual structure. I love it. I um, purchased it maybe, was it, it's been about three and a half years ago. I use it literally in every session, whether it's hypnosis or, or um, you know, EMDR or any of the work that I do. Um, it is like two big mazes side by side, and simultaneously they use their right and their left hand to move through the maze on a mirror image. And what that does, it synchronizes that right and that left hemisphere of the brain um, and does kind of like a hemispherical handshake is what I think of it as. 
your right side of your brain really works with emotions and it can feel, feel, feel and just be so overwhelmed sometimes with all these big emotions, especially for kids. A lot of times that's their dominant part of the brain, especially if they're real little, like four, three, two, Mm -hmm. you really see those big emotions. That's why they kind of just kind of wander around and all and they're like, oh, look at the beautiful flowers and they have no sense of urgency. You know, they're just kind of enjoying the world, which I yeah. wish we could all get to that place at some time. I love <laughs> Definitely. Place. They're so cute. Like even a squirrel is so exciting to them. Right? Yeah. As we develop, sometimes that, that sense of wonder and awe kind of gets a little bit dulled as our left brain starts to um, emerge but the, that right side really feels, feels, feels. And then the left side uh, really is like that logical, literal, analytical, that thinking part. When we get really overwhelmed and things are really tough, a lot of times those two sides will work independently. And sometimes they can be on full blast um, both at the same time but not connecting so we have this little bridge in between both hemispheres the corpus callosum that the information flow needs to occur and when i say it's not connecting it's not like 100 percent not connecting but not at an optimal rate when you can integrate the two and i do that through a labyrinth but there's other ways as well it's kind of like stirring the milk and the coffee you have that horizontal integration to where your thoughts and your feelings can mix together and when I think of it from, say, like a DBT perspective that, um, you know, she talks about um, walking's mind. Yeah, pause just for a minute. DBT is dialectical behavior therapy for listeners who don't know. Marsha Linehan is the creator of it. And she yes. talks about, you're saying, the wise mind. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, you know, all, all of that thought of we really need to use more parts of our brain than just one to be able to make decisions. So that's really, um, that labyrinth serves a few different purposes. It definitely calms, but it integrates that brain to where we're not just functioning from our feeling and we're not just functioning from our thinking. We are combining those two, like stirring the milk and the coffee. We're integrating them. And then when we can integrate it, we're at a much better state. So I, I don't know if you've ever read Mindsight from Dr. Siegel. I love, 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 love his work. Yeah. But he talks about that power of horizontal integration and vertical integration, which you can get from play therapy when you integrate that um, hypnosis into it. It just takes it to a more powerful level, especially horizontally. Fascinating. I'll put his book in the show notes for listeners as well. I've read another one of his books, but I don't think I've read Mindsight in particular. (laughs) Yeah, Mindsight's good. Whole brain child is the best. And then that no drama discipline, the whole brain child really, um, it's great for anybody, but especially for parents of young children, it really teaches them how the brain works. And when you know how the brain works, then you can kind of change what the brain does and you can respond in a way that is helpful, not only in making your life better in the moment, but you can really help that child to have a brain that is developed in a way that helps them to be successful in so many different ways. 
And then no drama discipline is great for the older kids, you know, say maybe like 11 to, you know, all the way up. And it can even, those tenets can even be used for adults. I mean, just that understanding of the brain is helpful in any way. Yeah, it's a great title, right? No drama discipline. <laughs> like, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that thought of a calm life. I know I do. Totally, particularly for like preteens and teens, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, and he has an excellent book called Brainstorm, which is also yes. like I'm a commercial for him. <laughs> I, love, <laughs> I love his work. I have no affiliation with him at all. I, I wish I did. But um, he wrote this book, Brainstorm, and it's written for a parent and child to read together. And really, really good. And again, it teaches um, the child and the parent and whoever's reading it just that real good understanding of the brain. It can be life changing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay, so to get back to hypnosis, are there problems that you would say are not appropriate for hypnosis? This is what I hear sometimes from parents. Can I bring the kid in? And this is sort of a magic solution, hypnosis, right? Mm -hmm. Can you talk about typical things that it's really not appropriate for versus things that, yes, hypnosis can definitely help with this. Mm -hmm. Now, there definitely are some things I don't use it for, but there, you know, I've read that it can be used for a wide variety of things. One of the things that I really prefer to use it for is anxiety and depression, mm -hmm. uh, things of that nature, and, and like that uh, feelings of self-worth. That, that to me, um, really connects with that limiting belief piece as well as helps with that integration of both hemispheres of the brain. But and there's some things I don't use it for, and that's for things like, you know, bedwetting um, and like learning problems. Fear of the dark is kind of uh, on the fence for me, mm -hmm. but it has been used successfully with some practitioners. I just use a different approach for those things. But I definitely prefer it for anxiety and depression and sometimes incorporate the visualization like the puppets and the stories and role playing with that, you know, active in the play. But um, it certainly can be used for lots more than I use it for, I think. Yeah, those are some good guidelines. So I found the same thing in the research around learning, like learning problems. So yeah. I would agree with you there. I was just looking at some of those studies. What I've really found to be true, and I definitely learned this in, you know, when I was going to school and grad school, is that the biggest piece of whether anything that you do with a client is successful or not is that therapeutic relationship. So it's really important to establish that and get a good fit. So for the parents listening or the clinicians listening, just making sure that the child is comfortable with the therapist is huge. That That's uh, like one of the biggest components of whether anything's going to work or not, but especially hypnosis. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I know there was times when I was seeing a child and really it's like a teen. And I said to the parent, like, she doesn't want to be here. Like, this isn't going to work because she doesn't want to be in therapy. She just doesn't want to talk. Like, none of that, you know, after a couple of sessions of seeing if maybe they could warm up. But um, I agree with you. The fit is really important. And whether the child feels comfortable with the therapist and in the office and 
wants to do some of that type of learning, really. It's a learning process and work. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, I've worked with resistant teens before, too. Part of me says, you know, you got to roll with that resistance and just help them out. But there's certainly a part of, okay, you got to be clear, like you, you said you were with the parents, you know, just really up front saying, I love the thought of you coming here, but I don't think that this is the time. You know, they're definitely not wanting to be here. And there's that resistance piece. So, it, sometimes it just say, you know, giving them referrals to other places and see if there's maybe a different fit or a different type of therapy they want or just helping with that child-parent relationship can make a big difference too with especially teens that are resistant. Yes, absolutely. I agree. Because sometimes it's, it may be the place or the therapist or I, I'm not assuming that it wasn't me, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know, as wonderful as you are and I am, we're not the best fit for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, like coming to terms with that makes makes things a lot yeah. easier. But like sometimes it, it is the um sometimes it is the teen. They don't want to be there. I remember I sent a friend to one of my colleagues for her son and she said when he was there he actually did a lot better. You know, like his behavior better, everything helped. But then he stopped wanting to go. And mm-hmm. she's like, you know, he's 15 and 6'1". I can't force him to go to therapy. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I gotcha. Right? Yeah. It makes me think, you know, over the years, I've definitely had some kids that the parents will come in and be like, they won't get out of the car. And <laughs> okay, that happens sometimes. And, you know, I've been known to kind of go out there and kind of uh, break the ice and that'll work. But sometimes it's it's just not right, not the right time or, you know, there's some other work that needs to be done and you want to keep that level of, you know, just healthiness, respect, you know, if yes. they're not man, we're not going to try to pull them in. Right. Definitely. It's true. I want to ask about the work you're doing professionally in terms of your play therapy community. I know you run a community for play therapists, correct? Yes, yes. Actually, it's for just clinicians and uh, professionals that work with children and families. A lot of people have um, misconception, I know I certainly did, about what play therapy is. So I wanted to demystify it, but also um, have information for clinicians out there that are play therapists that maybe that don't have the other information. So it's a wide array of stuff. Like many of the guests that I have on there are not play therapists that are, are just really um, helping the people listen, learn more, and really get a bigger vast of tools that they can pull from in their work. So like my last couple of episodes were on suicide prevention. And then I have one coming up um, on family meetings and sibling rivalry with Mercedes and, and then with Dr. Cat maternal health. So it's kind of like all over the place. When to refer to a school counselor and then Katie Mays going to talk about group therapy. So uh, it's for professionals, not even just clinicians. Um, mm-hmm. I have some occupational therapists in there. I have some educators in there. And there's also some parents because I transitioned over from my Parenting in the Rain podcast, mm-hmm. that was episode 50. So I have some loyal listeners there as well. Gotcha. I was thinking, though, more about the mastermind group that you run. Yeah, I'm excited. That hasn't actually started. It's getting ready to start really soon. Oh, great. 
I'm really excited about that. That's um, a group of professionals that really just want to take their work to uh, a bigger level to help a wider variety of people. So those that are interested in, say, um, creating online courses or ebooks or writing the book in a traditional form or maybe um, doing consulting work. I have an online business called Jackie Flynn Consulting. When you work in a mastermind, which is just a collection of professionals um, meeting together and sharing ideas, but also just kind of talking things out, you create like a synergy and you can do more than you could have done alone. Mm-hmm, definitely. Okay. So to clarify for the listeners, there's this one piece mastermind that is for clinicians and consulting piece there. And then the other piece is the podcast that you run, which used to be Parenting in the Rain, and now it's the Play Therapy Community. Yes. And that also has a Facebook group that people can join and be a part of, correct? Yes, correct. Okay, Mm -hmm. gotcha. We're getting to the end of our time. So can you tell people how to find you and how to listen to your wonderful podcast? Oh, thank you for saying that. You can find me at... um, at playtherapycommunity.com or my private practice website, counselinginbrevard.com. And also, you, you know, shoot me an email at Jackie at Jackie com. And also I have a couple of free Facebook groups that go along with the podcast. I have Play Therapy Community. You could just search for that in Facebook and then um, Parenting in the Rain community. I Both of those are active, and um, I'd love to have you in there. And also I have a Twitter, too. Um, it's at Jackie Flynn RPT for Registered Play Therapist. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. So I will put all of those in the show notes as well. I'll put links to the Facebook groups where people can request to join and links to your podcast so that they can see where to go and how to contact you as well. So thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. So my biggest takeaway from this interview was instilling in the child the belief that they can change, that they can adapt, adjust, they can break free from limiting beliefs, that they are not one way. And we used to believe that personality was like a stable thing that didn't change over someone's lifetime. But some more recent research, a study that came out, I think it was this year or last year, that studied people over like a crazy long period of time, 50, 60 years or something, found that personality is not stable. People change. They have life events that change their whole lives and how they think about things and how they handle things. I think most people in recovery will tell you that as well. Like they go into recovery, they become a different person. They handle things differently. They think differently. They do all kinds of things differently. That's personality change. And the same thing is true of our children. So yes, let's say you have a child that's stubborn and you're like, you're so stubborn, (laughs) you know, don't assume they're always going to be that way or don't tell them they're always going to be that way. They have the ability to change. And that was just such a lovely message. I loved also hearing about the stories. She tells that I could just picture Jackie's office with the sand tray and the mama elephant and the little elephant and that whole scenario going on. When I worked a lot with parents, I would tell them, 
use a dollhouse at home. Like you can use a dollhouse, a barn, the little people houses, whatever it is, the garage. I know little boys often have those like little wooden play garages, whatever it is, get some people in there, get some things in there and set it up the night before while they're asleep. If you know your child is working on something, set up a scenario with the little people in the cars or the little people in the kitchen or whatever it is. And then play with them the next day. Spend 10, 15 minutes playing with them, introducing alternative ways that the little people in the houses could choose to behave or act or feel or validate their feelings and see what comes up. It's actually a really fun part of parenting for me when my kids were little. So try that at home. All right, people, I'll talk to you next week. Peace. If you like this episode, do me a favor and rate, review, and subscribe on whatever player you like, or even better, tell a friend so that more and more people learn about hypnosis and how it can be helpful for them. If you want to know more about me, head over to drlizhypnosis.com. That's D-R-L-I-Z, hypnosis.com. You can see the downloads and see if there's one that's helpful for your life. Or you could also join the newsletter and get a couple of free files as well as lots of good content. I've written a newsletter for well over 10 years. Go ahead and subscribe and join the rest of the world. All right, people have a wonderful week.